welcome to Down and Distance. This is your host, Austin Gale, with his co-host, John Marsh. John, no podcast, no really media is really fit without talking about Johnny Menzel at this point. He comes up in the news, he plays the spring game, you know, whatever. People people get excited because if he did anything, he could do anything in this game, people are going to get excited. Pro Football Focus ended up grading his his performance in that game. He ended up he ended up scoring a measly 44 or no, 41.4 overall grade in that game despite you know throwing a touchdown and Bleacher Report loving it. What what's your take on his performance if you had a chance to watch it at all and what's your take on everyone's hype just coming out of this? Yeah, um it's just that. It's it's all hype and it's just the same thing that got him drafted in the first round when he shouldn't have and everything going on. He's not what has he shown that's good? He's too small. He doesn't stand in the pocket. He took like five sacks in that game, and he looked terrible. So I don't know what the big deal mm-hmm. is, and all the hype is just – I. if he was in the draft this year, I guarantee he'd go round one again with all this freaking hype that's up around him right now. It's it's dumb, and I hate it. And, but someone's going to take him, and it'll probably be someone terrible like the Browns or the Bills or someone like that will pick him up for some reason. There's no way. There's no way the Browns take a second swing at Johnny Menzel. I'm gonna. St- I'm putting my foot down right now. There's no way they're like, yeah, you know, let's give him a second chance. I think if he's gonna go anywhere, he's gonna go somewhere that doesn't have as much of a you know history with him as much as the Browns do. I think he's he's looking for a fresh start anyway. I don't even know if he'd want to go back to the Browns. I mean, any he'll go anywhere. I think at this point because. If he starts a game in the NFL, I will be absolutely shocked. If he ever plays another game in that, yeah, NFL. I don't, I don't see it. I, don't, I really don't see it. I think it was cool that we were able to grade the game here, at Pro Football Focus, and see, you know, kind of cut through the hype, cut through the noise of like he threw a touchdown, and kind of see like you know what was key about it. Is he, you know, he he ended up fumbling the ball, tried to sidestep pressure, took a big hit, and you know he made some kind of key mistakes that you know ended up you know being big factors in that game and those key mistakes can really ruin you. And that's kind of what ruined him in Cleveland. You know, he, he made some flashy plays. He scrambled out of the pocket, moved the chains a couple times with his feet. But he, it was always those big, those bad plays, those significantly bad plays that kind of tore his grades down and tore his performance down overall. Because all it takes, especially at the quarterback position, if you make some key mistakes at that position, turn the ball over or, you know, miss a pass on a key third down, that's the game. And, and I think that's what you saw with Johnny Manziel. And you continue to see that level of inconsistency with him in that spring game. And you see it, it's still there. He, he hasn't He hasn't gotten by it. You know, and you can't expect him to at the same time. What was he going to o- overcome those errors sitting on the sidelines and working out in the gym? That's not going to happen. He needs more ex- more experience to be good, but he ruined his shot to gain experience. You know, partying off the field and making poor decisions. You know, away from play. Did he? Did anyone in that game get a good grade? Did someone sneak away with a good one? So we, we we only isolated his grade and, and focused on his on his grade. We didn't like spend the time to grade everyone else in that game. So because we didn't you know we didn't want to spend too much time on this spring game where everyone else in that game is kind of a nobody, and we'd rather just kind of focus on Johnny Manziel yeah. because I mean he's the guy that the only reason anyone even knows that game existed. Moving forward here, something else I wanted to bring up was Raiders start camp today. Obviously, two two of us are really big Raiders fans. I was super excited to hear whatever the media was going to pull out of this, even though it was a closed practice so you know, or closed training or whatever. They, only, they pretty much only worked out. I don't think they did much else than some kind of like casual training, some weightlifting and stuff like that. But it's found that Khalil Mack did not show up. So definitely uncharacteristic for him. He's a leader in the locker room. He's a guy that, you know, first in, first guy in, last guy to leave. Doesn't show up today. How much are you, you know, pulling away from this? Some people are saying it's nothing. I mean, the guy's looking for a big contract. He's kind of sending some subliminal singles or 
or, or are you kind of really upset with this move and, and kind of, you know, second guess kind of his, his overall opinion to do that? No, I think I think it's more of a statement than anything. He's definitely going to come in and play this season, whether he gets the contract or not. But I think he just had to make the statement that, hey, I'm one of, if not the top edge defenders in this league, and I haven't gotten my contract yet, so what's the big deal? And we're paying Jordy Nelson $14 million. That's ridiculous. That's probably what he's thinking. So he, I think it was just more him saying, hey, I want, I, I know what I deserve and I haven't gotten it yet. And he was just keeping it, keeping it in the limelight that he's he's waiting for his contract. Absolutely. And, and if anything, it just lights a fire under Reggie McKenzie and John Gruden's butt to kind of get this the ball rolling a little bit more. Apparently they've had contract negotiations and the initial offer that was kind of tossed across the table was far from what Khalil Mack was expecting and far from expectations from his side of his side of the, you know, of the deal. So that probably discouraged him a little bit. And now he's sending a statement saying, you know, I'm not showing up to these things. You guys really need to hammer down this because I'm not ready to go into a season where, you know, I get an injury or something like that. And it costs me money. You know, he is due, I think 13 million plus this year because he is on that fifth year option. Mm-hmm. And the Raiders could negotiate a contract to where that number doesn't have to inflate significantly because they don't have the cap to really do that. But with that being said, and him knowing that and his agent knowing that, no matter what, his number this season is not going to get much bigger because it's a fully guaranteed 13 plus million. Yeah. That he needs to know that in future years, he's going to be one, compensated for this kind of cheaper year, and two, you know, given some, you know, structure in the contract to make him, you know, some safety, some security. And I think Gruden and Reggie McKenzie haven't got there yet, and hopefully they get there soon. Another thing important to note about this is Derek Carr didn't get his big, you know, hefty extension till June of last year. That's a yeah. long way down the road. And if Khalil Mack's hoping for something sooner than that, I, th- I, th- I don't know. He, he might, he might be, you know, asking for too much at this point. I think the Raiders are still obviously moving. There's a lot of moving pieces right now. They, they signed probably what well, they had one of the more the largest signing classes in free agency. There's probably a lot of guys they've signed. They're not even sure are going to make the roster. So understanding where they're at in terms of cap is is difficult for them at th- specifically at this point. And I think. Maybe there's going to be some more time needed before Khalil Max. They're really to get ready to get serious about these contract negotiations. Well, what what? How much is too much for Khalil Mack? Because like I'm saying, he, I think Von Miller, Aaron Donald are the only two guys that are even close to his level of play on the defensive side. How much? How much is too much? I think he could get whatever he wants. Oh, I, I don't think there's in terms of average, you know, annual salary. I honestly don't think there's a, too much you can give this guy. He's going to be the highest paid edge defender in the history of the NFL, and deservedly so. The whole thing, I think, that's what they're, what probably they're far on is the amount of guaranteed money and the structure of the contract. Is it front loaded? Is it back loaded? Is there options put in, or or is it fully guaranteed? You know, there's a there's a bunch of questions now with you know those type of contracts coming coming into play. Kirk Cousins gets a fully guaranteed contract. Yes, he plays the quarterback position, but is Khalil Mack looking for something similar? You know, it, 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 there's a lot. It's more so going to be with the structure. I think they're probably set on this average dollar amount per year because it's not going to get too much more than the highest paid. You know, it's going to be a million or a couple million more than the highest paid edge defender in the NFL. However, where they're, where they're probably far off is, is this, you know, is it, you know, 50% guaranteed, 60% guaranteed, you know, and he's probably asking for that yeah. kind of, that kind of percentage. And Reggie McKenzie's, you know, obviously he knows he's the best player in the NFL and he doesn't think he's going to regress anytime soon. But anytime you're investing that kind of money over a long period of time, it's it's you know every GM kind of starts to like second guess it you know he gets injured a couple of years we run into some issues and it's wasted money it's very very bad decision you don't want to you don't want to end up in something like that so I think Reggie McKenzie like he always do, has done 
is going to take his time with this thing and really master it, really flex this contract so that he doesn't put himself in a bad position, but also fits the needs of one of his best players on the roster, like he did with Derek Carr, like he did with Gabe Jackson, and like he's going, I, what I believe he's going to continue to do with Khalil Mack. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Cleo Mack is better than Olivier Vernon? Because Olivier Vernon is the highest non-franchise tag defensive lineman in the league at $17 million. Yes, he's better than he's better than Olivier Vernon. I think he could be he's gonna be reaching that nineteen he's gonna be reaching that nineteen million dollar mark, maybe even maybe even dip into the twenty million. But I I think nineteen million is where I think that average, like I said, that average dollar figure is probably at right now, nineteen, maybe nineteen five. But you know, like I said, they're, they're going to be struggling on how much are we going to give this guy guaranteed because he's probably asking for a lot. He's had one of the most dominant four-year stretches by a you know a four-year player that it, it really in the NFL. You know, Aaron Donald's kind of the only guy that matches that level of high-end consistency, at, regardless of position. You know, that you go wide receiver, quarterback, all these other positions. The, his consistency to play at such a high level is, is unprecedented. He's healthy. He, he you know he shows up to work. He's a leader in the locker room. Uh, it's 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 hard to really match you know match what this guy has done across the board, regardless of position. And that's probably what's having his agent knock on the door for maybe eighty percent guaranteed or something crazy like that. Uh, Reggie McKenzie is going to have a lot of work to do if he ends up having two twenty million dollar contracts. On his budget there with Carr and Mac, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Absolutely, but at the same time, as we, as we continue to see these highest paid players go, I mean, it's only it's only a, probably a matter of months before something else kind of happens similarly to where other positions are reaching above that twenty million dollar mark, and the cap space has to continue to increase until I think what's finally going to happen is the NFL is going to either have to crack down on maximum contracts per position, which I think is total possibility down the road. Cause at a certain point you can't be paying these guys, you know, tw- every position making over $20 million. It- it's just going to get far too inflated. And the owners themselves are going to start to complain saying, you know, this is too much money. I'm willing to invest into my roster at this point. So I think it's, um, we're going to get to a point where this is just a little nuts and it's time for, you know, there, there to be restrictions made on terms of how much money each position can make. I say screw it. Just let it keep going. Let's see how high we can go. No, just never ending. It's an arms race, baby. It's an arms race. Speaking of, you know, big contracts, another guy and probably a slew of guys on this new look Los Angeles Rams roster are going to be asking for highest paid at X position contracts. You got... And Domicong Sue, I mean, he's not, he, he's not maybe not going to get a contract extension next year. You're not sure. He's getting a little bit older. But Aaron Donald's on a rookie deal. Can you talk to me what, what you think this kind of all-in look for the Los Angeles Rams on 2018 is going to – is going to what's what's going to happen here? What, what Do you think, you know, they're, they're, they're Super Bowl favorites, NFC, maybe NFC championship favors, or do you think this is going to kind of, you know, blow up in their face? Let me tell you, I think Stan – Cranky and Les Need are the most impressionable, most easy to hype up ownership in the in, and management in the league because they they bought into the Jeff Fisher hype for some reason and now they are going all in on this year because you look at you mentioned some of these guys that are on their last year of their rookie contracts but some of these guys are on one year deals like Andamakong and uh, Brandon Cooks but Andrew Whitworth is fifty three. <laughs> okay, he can't play left tackle forever. And some of these other guys on the defense are getting up there. So if they don't win, if they don't make it to the Super Bowl this year and the amount of draft capital that they've given up and everything else, they're not going to be able to bring back all these guys on contracts. 
And I think they could be set back a lot farther than they would have been if they would have just stuck it out and kept trying to build to the draft. Whereas if they, I mean, if they do win, then yeah, sure. But we've seen this super team thing happen before and it doesn't work out. And if they don't make it to deep in the playoffs or at least Super Bowl, this is all for naught because like, like I said, they're going to be set so far back with the, just the amount of draft capital that they've given up. They're going to be set back. And they, when they lose a lot of these guys at free agency, it's, they're just going to be screwed in this division again. No, a hundred percent. I agree with you. And I'm looking kind of closer into the numbers here. They give, they give the Rams core, the nucleus right now, like the core players, Brandon cooks is on the last year of his rookie deal. It was a fifth year option picked up last year. Aaron Donald is on the last year of his rookie deal. You know, and that guy's going to be Todd Gurley still on a rookie contract. Jared Goff on a rookie contract. Marcus Peters on a rookie contract. That's a lot of high end, almost in players. I did players. I did players. I did players. I did rookie deal, but on that rookie deal, but on that rookie deal, but on that rookie deal, but he's another one of those high end players. This is kind of something. This is a rock. Lamarcus Joyner's even on the franchise. Yeah, and, and but he's getting paid. He's getting paid hefty this year. So whether or not they're able to pay him next year is kind of you know can they find it again? But with these guys, they're going to have to find it new. They're going to have to create space to bring back Goff on a long deal, Gurley, you know, Peters, Cooks. It, it's 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 kind of insane. And I think I agree with you that if they don't go to a Super Bowl this year. They, they, they've kind of it was a one year wonder and they're going to lose a lot of chemistry because there's no way and then there's no way you're going to be able to bring all these guys back on deals that they're all going to like. There's going to be a couple guys that they're going to have to cut ties with, whether it be Cooks. I could see Cooks being maybe the odd man out there. I can't imagine Peters leaving. I think Sue doesn't make it another year with them. I don't know. It, it's just crazy to kind of you never see that before. You know, you don't not in my recent memory where a team kind of goes all in on guys that are on cheaper deals right now, but they know in the future that they're not going to be able to bring this whole crew back. Not this all in. This is completely Dude, all in. Ab- absolutely. And I, and I agree with you. I think, d- are they the favorite to at least win the NFC West? Do you think they could take down what a lot of people think is going to be a very good San Francisco 49ers team? Easily. Yeah, definitely. They can win their division. If they don't win their division, then they, they just don't. What happened? If they don't win their division with this roster, they absolutely screw the pooch. I, it's crazy to me that they're going to go into next year, even if they win the Super Bowl and not be able to bring any of these guys back. Uh, I just, I, the, the, I'll give them credit for this though. They are going to win the Los Angeles market this year. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the Chargers are going to have a tough time stealing away the fans for this team because everyone is going to be on the bandwagon and everyone's going to be showing up to these games. So they at least won that. Maybe they got themselves some diehards for years to come. Absolutely. And they got some jersey sales. Marcus Peters is a popular jersey. I mean, Aaron, I mean, Dom Kong Su is going to be a popular jersey. There's going to be some Brandon Cooks fans. Akeem Talib. I think they did a really good job if that was one of their goals in terms of putting butts in seats because that's yeah, this is a team that everyone wants to watch next year. And it's going to be in such a good division. I think regardless whether or not they're the favorites to win it, those Niner Rams games are going to be good. You know, Niner, I mean, Rams, Seattle is going to be good. Yeah, the Cardinals are going to be kind of a doormat of that, of that conference. I mean, not conference, but division. But I think that entire, you know, those top three teams I just mentioned are going to be competitive and it's going to be, I think, a clo- uh, you know, tight knit race till the end. It's That's exciting football in the NFC West. And the Rams, I agree with you that they are, should be the favorites in kind of their division to lose, but they're not going to be able to blow away people with, you know, in that in that division. There, there's, there's a lot of, you know, competent, you know, competitive teams in the NFC West, specifically, you know, the the, the Niners and the Seahawks. I just think that the Niners and the Seahawks have a lot more to prove than the Rams do just based on the Niners. Obviously they're riding that hype of the five and zero finish. 
and the Seahawks lost a lot of their core. So it could be they run out there and they do run over those teams easily. Just with this roster, if it comes together and it really gels, then they could absolutely blow the brakes off of any team, even any team, regardless of division. You know, you know what's kind of overlooked in this too is that they got the coach of the year coming back. I mean, obviously, it's not big news when okay. when you got you're signing like five you know high end players. But Sean McVay was an excellent coach last year, and he was able to do very good things, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, with little to no talent. Now he's got Brandon Cooks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, this, this, he's going to be able to do some things. He's, they still got draft picks on the uh, well, not that, not too many anymore, but they, they still got some some t- some potential to add a key piece in the in the draft. I, I think Sean McVay could do some some good things here. I, I'm excited to see what he's able to do. What could really hurt this team, though, and I don't know if McVay McScheme would allow it, but a, a significant regression for under center with Jared Goff. I know he had a hot year last year, a career year. I mean, after kind of a underwhelming start to his career but if he kind of regressed a little bit you know started to turn the ball over a little bit more and it just didn't didn't meet expectations of last year that could ruin it could derail this entire project that has been you know invested in this offseason I'm willing to bet that Sean McVay's scheme transcends the quarterback I, I don't think it matters who's back there as long as they can make a couple throws I think they would still have a great season just just based on how amazing his scheme and every play he calls is. And you mentioned that they have the coach of the year coming back. They also have the offense player and defense player of the year on that team. So uh, they, they've got a lot of returning good pieces, regardless of what they did in free agency. I'd like to go back to that statement uh, that you said, you said, doesn't really matter who he's got back there. As long as he can make some throws, he can succeed, succeed in McVay's offense. If that is indeed true. And I'm not in a position to completely disagree with what you just said. He might be the best coach of all time. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, you, if you can have a coach that can pretty much put a top, as long as there's like a top half of the league QB back there and have significant success, McVeigh is going to be in this league for a very, very long time. And he's going to be some, doing some good things, some Belichick-esque good things. And, and to be honest, I'm not in a position, nor has evidence presented itself for that statement not to be true. And, you know, the more I think about it, the crazier it seems. And I'm really yeah. excited to see if Goff can continue and McVay continue the success but that's a hot statement man and I'm, I'm excited to be maybe slightly behind that take right now well, what, I, what I what I'm thinking is it comes down to whether or not his scheme can transcend past you know over the years if he can continue to make it dynamic and difficult to figure out but the scheme that he runs doesn't require the quarterback to make a lot of decisions and think a lot it's just this guy's going to be open because we drew it up that way we manipulated the defense with motions formations personnel so well that this guy is going to be open and if he's not there's an easy check down or something to go to and if he can continue that and people don't figure it out defensively how to stop it or or what to do I don't see why he couldn't be one of the best coaches of all time easily yeah a well-oiled machine does not break down with one faulty piece it takes multiple and I think that's what McVeigh can create and Goff if he is indeed faulty maybe makes a couple of mistakes here and there the scheme itself the, the machine itself is going to be able to prop himself up similar to how it's propped up their lack of weapons in recent years 
and allow and allow them to still put up points on the board. And this defense, I don't care what scheme Wade Phillips put out there, who I think, and I will stand by this, Wade Phillips is one of the better defensive minds in the NFL. He's been able to use Brockers and, and Donald to, to create great pressure on the quarterback without any edge defender help. They have not had significant talent along the edge. And now you bring in Ndamukong Sue. Wade Phillips is going to be licking his chops with a secondary loaded with talent. Marcus Peters, Akib Dalib, Lamarcus, I mean, Lamarcus Joyner, I, I'm so excited for the for this team. I'm so excited to see what they're going to be able, what kind of product in terms of watchable product they're going to be able to put out. I, I, I'm on the hype. I, I don't care. I'm on the hype. I'm not sure. I'm not buying them to win the Super Bowl at this point, but I think they're going to have a lot of fun and a lot of success. And I'm ready. I'm all for it. You know, and look at you know. Let's use this you know Todd Gurley dynamic back as a transition here to talking about some running backs in this draft class. I, I, I we got to get into the draft. The draft is is coming faster and faster. I, I'm ready to I'm ready to talk some prospects with you. You know, I'm high on a lot of these running backs here. Specifically, I want to talk about you know Saquon Barkley. There's been you know some recent flack t- thrown his way, specifically from PFF, kind of looking at some of his flaws. We still considered him the number one back, you know, entering this draft, but he's not without flaw. He's he, he there there are certain things that he does that don't make him this kind of generational back that everyone wants to proclaim him to be. The same generational back that they, we've had in every draft for the past three or four years. I mean, it, I, you can't really kill everyone in every draft. There's not a back in every draft that's a generational back. But what's your take on Saquon Barkley? I, I know you're high on him as well, but do you agree that there maybe are some flaws to his game that could show up at the next level? Yeah, and I know some of those flaws kind of are based around he did have some games where he was under you know, a certain yards per carry average and he struggled against um, some easier competition over the year. But I think... When you look at his breakaway speed on tape, and this is just me watching him on tape, and you watch him destroy people's angles at the size and the weight that he is, I don't see why he isn't going to fit right in with the Todd Gurley's and the Ezekiel Elliott's and all those guys. I think he fits. And you said it, we can't continue to have these generational backs, but I think we can. And more and more athletes are going to that position. And it's, it's, I think he's easily on pace to be exactly like an Ezekiel or a Gurley. And his skill and what you see on the tape just backs it up. Regardless of what the analytics want to say, I know you're huge on him. I'm huge on him too. But this is one of those guys that you just see it on tape. Yeah, you see it on tape. And I think what makes him a top back is as we continue to work within this passing league, he's a very, very good receiver. A very good one, and he has the potential to be a great one. One of the one, one of the Marshall Falks, in, in my opinion. It kind of that kind of reminds me of the guy who can put up a thousand in, in pass, you know, a thousand receiving, a thousand rushing. He can have those kind of gaudy numbers that, similar to like an Alvin Kamara, that's putting you know bringing in 70, 80 receptions a, a year, and you know carrying the ball two hundred times. That that guy that really changes your offense for the better. The, the, the only flaw with me, this is something that I kind of see on tape more so than I want to. And it's not necessarily a flaw you see in backs a lot. And it's, 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 it's unique to him, which makes it kind of a lot of people second guess whether or not it is a flaw. And maybe you're just kind of reaching at this point because you want to find a knock on this guy. But when you, when you see him running, you know, in between the tackles and sometimes even outside of the tackles, if he runs into early adversity, whether it be line, behind the line of scrimmage or maybe a yard after he'll start to value the idea or, or prioritize 
bouncing it outside or pivoting the direction of the run to possibly gain, you know, that, 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 that explosive run of five, 10 yard gain rather than kind of lowering his shoulder and, and understanding that this is a two yard gain. This is, you know, this is going to be a three yard, four yard gain. And when he does that, when he kind of completely, you know, flips the script on a run and changes the direction and works against the offensive line, you'll see him run, do a lot of negative yardage plays where he gets caught behind the line of scrimmage, make trying to make too many people miss and not necessarily just taking the yards that are available, which, you know, again, like I said, is is not a flaw that you're no that is is that bad. If a guy thinks he can he can hit the home run every time, and he does a lot of the time, it's not necessarily the hugest flaw. But at the next level, he's not going to be able to spin his way and change the direction of the run against NFL talent more often than he did at the college level. And he didn't do it often enough for me for me to agree that it's the best decision every time. I think he's going to have to learn to kind of lower his shoulders through adversity to kind of pick up that three-yard gain, that four-yard gain, and, you know, live to see another down rather than put your put your offense in a situation where you're getting negative yardage on early downs. Yeah, and I think that could come down to just being at the collegiate level. And he's, I mean, he's shooting for the Heisman. He's shooting for being a top pick. He want to get, wants to get all these stats, and it could be something like that more than it is his complete style. And I think a coach would easily be able to fix, uh, hey, just lower your shoulder, give me the four, than he than any other issue a running back could come out with. I think, like you said, it's a little bit of a reach. It's something that if you see a lot on tape, then it's it's a cause for concern. But I don't think it's an issue that really affects his draft stock or where he ends up as far as skill in the NFL. Yeah, I agree that it's a bit of a reach, and I also agree, and it, you made a good point there that it can be a coaching point. It could be something that you know he comes into you know practice week you know day one and something that they're telling him to kind of move on from. But I don't think that's something that changes overnight. I don't think you could you could coach that guy and he starts to do have that mentality in, in a couple weeks and even in a, in a couple months. I think that's gonna he's gonna have to have that experience at the NFL level where he tries to do what he did at the college level and he's getting caught behind the line of scrimmage. He's not hitting those home runs that he used to. He's not able to have those freakishly athletic plays because everyone's a lot better in the NFL. Everyone's a lot better that plays on Sundays. So I think he's gonna have to ha- he's gonna have some growing pains that people don't expect because he's a generational back and he's incredible and all that stuff. I think he might have some growing pains early but I, I have no question and I don't question this at all that he could be a, a, a unbelievable back at the next level a guy who plays in this, in this league eight ten years and has a lot of success I think to not expect growing pains I think is a reach for me I think this this isn't a guy that's going to hit the ground running as much as I thought Ezekiel Elliott was going to and he has but I think you know with Saquon Barkley I think Make sure to understand if you're bringing this guy in that he's no, he's not 100. percent You know, this guy needs there's there's coaching points across the board that he can improve and to become that back that everyone wants him to be. Yeah, and I think it also a lot for him when you talk about those growing pains ends up is going to depend on where he ends up. If he ends up on a team that hasn't had a lot of success running the ball over the last few years, like the Giants or the Broncos or the Colts, I mean. That that would be tough for him, I, and that could be a spot where you see a lot of growing pains. Kind of like Christian McCaffrey went through at the start of this as his season. They really figured out how to use him well towards yes. the end of it. So I think that could be that's definitely a good prediction there that he may end up more more like a McCaffrey and where he ends up. Uh, they start figuring out how to use him later. Dude, when they started to move him around a little bit more, throw him the ball a lot more, he started to have a lot of success. Just get the ball in his hands and space and let him figure it out running between the tackles at the NFL level a different time. With Barkley, I think you could maybe see something similar happening with him, and I'm excited to see it happen. Moving forward, there's some other backs I want to talk about. Um, these two Georgia backs, I, I think you know, I'm back and forth on which one's the better one. In the beginning, I was all Nick Chubb, all Nick Chubb. Sonny, Mike, Sonny Michelle was an afterthought. But as I continue to look at it and think about today's NFL 
well and how much more it's how much more important it is to be a pass catching back and have that swiftness and that speed and that you know that niftiness I, I don't know man I, I start to like Sonny Michelle a lot can you can you can you help me out here where are you at on that stance and is it is it by a significant margin or are you also kind of tied between these two guys I think what you're seeing in today's NFL that if you aren't shifty and you have that kind of speed that top end speed you can't be an every down back and you can't be a three down back in this league. And that's that's true for a lot of veteran backs. You see it happening with Jonathan Stewart and a lot of these older guys where if you can't split out and you know run a, run a route for me or be able to be in there on third and long, then you're not going to make it. And I think that's where the Sony Michelle Nick Chubb thing is. Nick Chubb could very well be and end up being a much better runner than Sony Michelle at the next level. But the fact that he's not able to stay on the field when you need him most on those key third downs is what's going to hurt him and make him so that he's not going to be a go-to guy for the full season. So I think it's not so much the two backs themselves as much as it is the way the NFL is today. And there's some recency bias in this as well, in this comparison, but it reminds me a lot of the Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara dynamic. I don't think Sonny Michelle is as athletic and as, you know, you know, simply as amazing as, as as Alvin Kamara is with the ball in space and catching the ball out of the backfield. He's not as electric, but Nick Chubb is that Mark Ingram type that, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll surprise you on a couple catches here and there, but he's not that guy that's super dynamic and, you know, does those kind of highlight level plays that Alvin Kamara can do and, and turn a, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a, a pass behind the line of scrimmage where he's contacting into a 20 yard game with a couple of hurdles along the sideline. Nick Chubb's the guy that's going to bang inside the middle and get you those chunk gains while Sony Michelle's more of a highlight real type. And I think together they're great, but having just one without a compliment starts to get me, you know, starts to put me at a disadvantage. And that's why more and more so when I see a back like that, that I don't think can do it all. He falls into the second and third round, maybe even later, because it just in terms of positional value, I can find a Nick Chubb. I can find a Nick Chubb down the road and, and maybe even Darius Geis, Royce Freeman, Carrion Johnson. You bring up all these other names that can probably do similar similar things to Nick Chubb at, at cheaper value. And, and the same with Sonny Michelle. You got Naheem Hines. There's other pass catching backs that can do what he does. And when I start to think about it like that, when I don't have when I don't have those two pieces together, it reduces their value. Not to a point where I won't draft them, I don't want them on my team, but not to a point where I consider these guys, you know, top thirty picks, you know, or you know, even top fifty picks. I, I I like the idea of taking them later and allowing them to complement each other with a couple different backs that offers different skill sets. Yeah, two things on that. I've said it time and time again that if you're going to get drafted in the first round as a running back, you have to be able to do everything, and then you have to be able to do it well, not just be able to, but do it well, and you compared Nick Chubb in that comparison was compared to Mark Ingram, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to give Mark Ingram a little more credit. He can <laughs> do some pass catching out of the backfield. And I think he's a lot better than Nick Chubb. I just want to throw that out mm-hmm. there because I feel like Mark Ingram gets missed a lot in this Alvin Kamara hype that happened last year, but he had a great season and he did pretty much everything that Alvin Kamara did just without, you know, as much explosion. Dude, you 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 know I'm a huge Mark Ingram fan. I've been a Mark Ingram truther since he's been drafted. I, I'm a big, I'm really high on Mark Ingram, and I think I think Nick Chubb and I agree with you that he's maybe a poor man's Ingram. And one, in the health concerns, I don't, I don't think Nick Chubb is as durable as Mark Ingram has proven to be. And two, I think Mark Ingram has more pass catching experience and has proven he's been able to do that. He's been able to turn screens into big gains. Yeah, I agree that he's not. It's not as high highlight real level, but. Um, 
I agree with the comparison that Nick Chubb maybe is not not as good as him. And again, that kind of brings back brings me back to the point where I'm not willing to take Nick Chubb maybe even in the second round if I can find other guys like later in later rounds that can put up similar production. Moving to, you know, we, we talk about running backs all the time. It's one of my favorite positions to scout. It's one of those ones where there's so much you can like about a player and at the same time so much you can hate about a player and positional value comes into it. There's just so much that goes into the equation where you can talk about running backs all day. And with this draft, there's another position where you can talk about it all day, more so because no one really knows who the best guy is. Wide receiver right now. You know, some people like pro football focusing. Michael Gallup out of Colorado State is the number one guy, hands down. Other people look at Calvin Ridley, James Washington. Cortland Sutton gets some calls. DJ Moore out of Maryland gets compared to Stephon Diggs a lot. You know, Anthony Miller out of Memphis draws some, you know, I've seen people like Antonio Callaway as their wide receiver one if it weren't for the off-field issues. There's so many guys to like, and, and no one really knows who the best one is, I think, it, which makes it perfect talking point. Right now, I want to talk about Michael Gallup. I know, I know not everyone's high on him. Not everyone thinks he's the number one guy. But I agree with Pro Football Focus, the consensus that he is the best guy in this draft in terms of wide receiver. However, I don't stand in the fact that I think he's a number one guy. I think he's a great number two, because, and he's the best number two available because I don't know if any of these other guys are true number one wide receivers, guys that I can count on to be you know, the Des Bryant, Julio Joneses of this league. I think this is a great number two that you can find value with late in the first maybe or early in the second round. And he could just do it all. He could play in the slot. He's got great hands. He's great after the catch. He's a smooth route runner. Does a, does a lot of good things. Does a lot of good a lot of things well. Doesn't do any specific thing fantastic, but does a lot of things well. And that kind of balance makes him my number one guy. But I know you have a different guy in mind. Can you tell me about your number one guy? Yeah. And well, you mentioned that there's not a lot, there's not a Julio Jones type guy in this draft. And I think that's why you see so many people have differentiating opinions on who the number one guy is, because it is more of a scheme fit because he's going to be a number two. He's not going to be your number one. And he's got to fit in the offense that you kind of want to run in the scheme that you want him to fit in. For me, my number one guy, sort of for the same reason that you mentioned with uh, Gallup is uh, James Washington. And because he doesn't do anything extremely well, but he doesn't do anything bad. He's great in traffic. He's got some t- top end speed and he's good. In, he's physical. He's good at getting off the press. He, the only thing for me is he could be, he could be a little bit more of a vertical receiver where he could go up and get it for you. He doesn't do that extremely well and locate, but when he gets the ball in his hands, he's dynamic. And I think he's a guy that easily fits in any offense rather than it having to be more specific. So he could fit a little easier in your offense than a lot of these other receivers. Yeah. I like James Washington a lot. And the comp that comes to mind with him is Michael Crabtree in that they're a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical and kind of able to dominate on the outside. However, what what I, what I'm afraid of is that James Washington didn't have, you know, as much, you know, significant success. And he's like a poor Crabtree. And that's what kind of pushes him out of the first round conversation for me and, and makes me kind of higher on guys like Gallup, who ha- I think are Better in terms of route running and all that stuff. I know he doesn't have the size, but James Washington, I know he's bigger, and that's always going to draw people to his side. But he's bigger, but I, I run out of things, good things to say about him after his size and kind of his physicality. Yeah, he got some speed here and there, and he's made some good catches, and he had a lot of production in what I believe is kind of a loaded Oklahoma State offense that is kind of makes you makes you want to have that. I mean, helps you have that kind of production. But I'm not saying he's. I, I think he. I think he's a great receiver. I think this is a guy that goes in the second second round, but. At the same time, 
I don't know. I'm a little bit scared of him. He kind of kind of reminds me of the Laquan Treadwell year where he's big and he can make some of these big contested Ooh. catches. He can make some of these big contested catches, but at the same time, contested catches don't happen that often. You need to get open. You know, you need to contested catches are a volatile stat. If you're really good at them, that's not that good because there's some quarterbacks that simply don't throw that many, those that many 50-50 balls. And also, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to have consistent success across weeks, across seasons, across you know careers. Catching balls in op- when you're open, but to, to get open, you have to be able to create separation in short areas, run, have an expansive route tree in the, in, in the whole nine yards. I just want to see James Washington be a better open receiver, which kind of sounds not, you know, almost like a weakness, but y- you have to be able to get open to a point where you're not making a lot of contested catches because it is such a volatile stat. I, I will say that you compared him to Treadwell, and I do agree that their play style is similar, but Washington is much more dynamic and much I mean Treadwell ran a four six five. Okay. So true, true. He, Treadwell's he, a lot more lethargic. He he's he was pretty, you know, hammered down as only gonna be up a go up and get it kind of red zone guy. And again, in a weak wide receiver year, he got taken way too early and hasn't panned out to be that number one that they drafted him to be. But I, I think James Washington ran that four five range that you need to be in. And I think he's going to be much more dynamic than a treadwell and able to get open. Like you mentioned, I think he will be able to create separation, especially with that physicality like a Des Bryant does. Uh, He's not going to run. He's not just going to run away from everyone, but his combination of route running and his physicality, I think is going to get him open. Absolutely. Another guy I really like, and I think this is guy's going to be maybe a late day two, early day three steal is Anthony Miller out of Memphis. The biggest drop, I mean, drop <laughs> the biggest con with him is his drops. He's had some, you know, those, those mental drops. And when he's wide open, he's, he beat the guy, he beat the doors off the guy on the route and he's wide open, just falls through his hands, which reminds me of a Raider and Amari Cooper, and sometimes that can really hurt you. You leave yards on the field. You don't convert on third down and kind of you, you lose confidence in yourself and, and quarterbacks start to avoid you. All, all those drops are so important in that they, ha- they affect so many different things and, and, and can really ruin you, ruin you as a receiver. But if this guy can figure that out and, and be able to have you know, better hands, at least better hands at a consistent level to where he can have you know, elite production in the NFL. I think he has all the tools to be a great, great wide receiver at the next level. It's just those drops and those focus drops that that scare me, and I think are going to scare is going to scare NFL teams to a point where they're they're second guessing this guy, and it could be his Achilles heel. Yeah, and well, you talked about the confidence thing with the receiving. You saw it happen to Mari Cooper. Uh, I, it's interesting that we both. I wanted to mention that we both had our top wide receivers not being those guys that are in kind of the conversation for the first round being Calvin Ridley, Cortland Sutton, as well as Christian Kirk. Uh, all those guys are the ones that are consistently mocked to the first round and kind of projected to go there. And uh, is, are you just low on those guys? Or are you just that much higher on Gallup? I, I'm high on Gallup. And even though, and I said, I'm high on Gallup. I don't think he should go until late, late thir- first round, if not the second round, I don't think there's really a standalone first round wide receiver in this class. I honestly don't. I think taking Calvin Ridley in the first round is a stretch. I think taking Cortland Sutton in the first round is even more of a stretch. I think he's worse than James Washington. I think he falls into the, uh, maybe even outside the top five wide receivers. I I think you're reaching at that point. You're reaching in a similar way the Bengals reached on John Ross, where you're just trying to get a wide receiver because you want one and that that you can maybe end up making a mistake. I I think all the guys, you know, in, in this draft, 
have that potential to be to be first round talents, but I don't think any of them are ready to be first round talents in year one, maybe not even year two. And you look at Calvin Ridley, a guy that you want to take in the first round. He's 23 years old. He's going to be 23 years old when he starts, you know, starts, you know, starts his NFL career. That's not something you can bank on developing at the next level. That's something you need to start to to be good and have good production early in his career, similar to like Cooper Cup, because he's, I mean, that guy's 24. I, I'm just nervous about. I'm nervous about that, and I think you know, Cortland Sutton's a big guy. You, you, you like his quickness, but at the same time, he needs more juice. He needs more. He needs more. You know, oomph to be able to create separation with at a consistent rate as the NFL. He's like almost a poor man's James Washington in that he has good size, but he lacks that ability to create separation when he needs to. At, at a, at, you know, with with great consistency. I don't like how you keep talking, and this happens all the time. Whenever John Ross, you keep bringing him up as a bust guy, and he's not yet. Okay, I'm defending him. He's not yet, and you keep saying it. He was hurt, okay? He hasn't had a chance. Give the guy a chance. I'm still high on John Ross, and I was high on him before, and I know you hated him, and that's why you keep doing this to me. (laughs) But John Ross can still be good, okay? Don't don't bring him up as a bust guy. I'm not writing him off yet, and I'm not labeling him a bust. Apparently, reports have said that's a lie you're lying you're <laughs> lying right now reports have said that he is working with former Bengals great tj Zada this offseason so i think we could see easily some improvement just from conversations with one of the greatest Bengals receivers of all time and that's not counting terrell owens because he wasn't that good with the Bengals. does it, it that that part of his career you kind of want to leave out i think tj Zada is way better than any of that you know or chris collinsworth if you want to go deeper uh, and and represent the PFF roots. Let me ask you this: Would you go uh, TJ Hoosh or Chad Ochocinco? Oh, Chad. Oh, okay, yeah, Chad. Ch- no, Chad. Chad Ochocinco, I think, is the top Bengals guy. But his his was a lot shorter. You know, his career was a little bit shorter. He ended up leaving a little bit yeah. earlier. And TJ Hoosh was good for so long, kind of like a Palomalu. Or I think that's only because they look similar. I think that was a mistake. I, I should have the same hair. That's all hair. Um, Let's move out of, you know, talking to these prospects. I know this is a constant theme that we want to do with the podcast is going these state of the franchises. And right now we're skipping the Browns at four overall because we did them at one. We're moving to number five overall, the Denver Broncos. This is a, this is a fun roster that did some moves this offseason that's really going to decide how good they are and – how excited are this is what the question it's going to this is it starts and ends with this question right here how excited are you for case keenum under center eh is eh enough excitement like it's ah i i mean perfect perfect it's perfect enough it's a perfect, I, I mean it would be awesome because i loved watching him last year and i rode the hype train all the way through the playoffs but it would be awesome if he did it again and he ends up being this late bloomer quarterback that just comes out of nowhere but I think this whole roster is on a hot seat year. I think every single – there's not a player on here. Maybe Vaughn Miller is the only guy who has a pass. But everyone else is on a hot seat and could be gone, traded, moved around if they all flunk this year, especially the head coach at Vance Joseph. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think Elway's in that in that same in that same mood. You know, if he made some key acquisitions here that hint that he's trying to push, he's trying to push for a deep playoff run before he ends up having to, you know, destroy this thing and, and get rid of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and you got Bradley Roby, Chris Harris Jr. I mean a lot of these guys that you're either gonna you know Shane Ray, a lot of these guys that you're gonna have to move on from and restart and rebuild if you are indeed going to kind of go that route with a new QB and all that. If Case Keenum is able to have success, they go a deep playoff run, it's a different story. If Case Keenum is a, indeed a flash in the pan that I expect him to be, 
then it's going to it's going to end up you know he's going to end up destroying this roster and and moving on completely from a lot of the key guys probably sans von miller yeah and i think where they go at number five is going to be huge for what they really expect out of this year if they end up going you know a later qb like a baker mayfield or a josh allen then i think that really shows that john elway was just kind of trying to put together you know not a bottom feeder team and the more and more i look at the roster from top to bottom and look at each position it just screams eight and eight to me it just look it just looks like a nine and seven team that you can't say they had a bad year if a couple things would have went their way you know they could have had a great year but it just it really looks like a team that isn't destined to have double digit wins. And I couldn't agree more. I kind of want to go back to what you hinted at about that number five pick. I think this is my this is my situation. If John Elway isn't keen on taking one of the quarterbacks, he wants to try and build the roster a little bit more. Take take a playmaker, maybe like Bradley. You know, maybe Bradley Chubb pair him up with Von Miller. I don't know. You take Mika Fitzpatrick, help out that secondary. There's a lot of ways you can go there. You could take Derwin James. I think would be an excellent pick. I know they picked up Sue at Cravens, but I'm not super high on that being a game changing move. I think. Darian Stewart's getting a little a little bit older. Cravens is a guy that said he doesn't want to play football. Darian Stewart didn't even really – they paid him that money and wanted him to be the guy, and he didn't really pan out for him them last year either. So I could definitely see – He's been he's been, he's been been okay. Yeah, I'd give him okay. But he's they been okay. Good and I think after Dar- getting rid of TJ Ward. Yeah, well, he, he isn't good. And I don't think Sue Cravens – I'm not super high on the Sue Cravens moves. Some Denver Broncos fans are super happy about it. I think he can be this great player. But it's a guy who has proven – and as we saw, that he's not – super committed to football and I think that's the type of that mentality doesn't go away as like some people are trying to believe it does I, I think a guy that you know doesn't like football and wants to quit because you know he's not committed to it he faces some adversity early in the season say the Broncos drop their first three games this is a guy that I think taps out early doors man and, and I'm not excited about that at the safety position I think it was a steal for what they traded for him with but I don't think that rules out them taking Derwin James at five overall however I want to go back to this if the Broncos don't want a quarterback, say they want Duran James, and one of the big four, the big four being you know Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Baker Mayfield, not in that order, but those four guys, if, if one of the big four falls to them at five and they don't choose to trade out for one of those QB-hungry teams and the Bills, the Cardinals, you know, even the Patriots are even trying to look for a successor that you've heard rumors about, that's a mistake. I do not think you take a non-QB in the top five, you find a way to get out of it because there's going to be people chomping at the bit to get to get ahead of some of these other teams and take and take a QB. Yeah, well, honestly, I don't think there's even going to be anyone to trade up for at five. I think it's, they're going to be gone. I think there's no way that the Jets, Giants, and Browns don't do either take the quarterback or do the same thing that you're saying, trade back and let someone else come in there. So I think the Broncos could be in a situation where they have to pick the next a non-quarterback mm-hmm. or they have to reach really far on someone like a Lamar Jackson or something like that. No way. No way. So if the picks go, you know, three quarterbacks to start and the Browns are up again and they trade out for another QB hungry team and the Broncos are sitting there because they didn't want to make a move up and the top four are gone. I think they're hundred percent taking the best non QB available. However, if somehow the Browns aren't able to find a trade partner or whatever happens that falls through and they don't take another QB because that just wouldn't happen. And the Broncos are sitting there with one of the top four in play. You find that GM that likes him the most, you call him up and you ask for his first rounder and a couple second rounders, maybe in something in the future. I think that's the best move. You don't sit up that high in this draft without trying to trade away if you're not looking for a QB yeah I'm just telling you I think they could be screwed on that I think they could be sitting there and have to take maybe the guy and if I mean like you said I think the secondary is a spot that they could go 
They whiffed on the tackle with Garrett Bowles, I think. I, he's terrible, in my opinion. Um, I, this mm-hmm. offensive line needs help. C.J. Anderson. It's early to write him off as a bust. What did he, okay, PFF me on him. What did, what did he PFF out at? Uh, uh, PFF, didn't, he did great well. He ended up finishing at 68.8, which isn't good. But at the same time, left tackle is one of those things that it, it's not easy to just step in and be really good at it. You, it, it. Think about what he was, what level of competition he was facing at Utah playing left tackle. You know, you're not facing top-tier edge mm-hmm. defenders every year. And, and he's going in the AFC West, going against Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Khalil Mack, uh, and Vaughn Miller at practice. I'm sure he got downgraded for that, too. I mean, <laughs> it's going to – and Kansas City Chiefs got Tom Bahali, Justin Houston, that guy's going against elite competition game in and game out. To have a bad grade, a 68.8, is almost expected for a, for a guy that, you know, is coming in the league in his first year. The thing that scares me the most about him, though, is that they don't have a lot of time to really develop this guy. I remember when he came out, wasn't he not a, a guy that came off a mission trip at 24, 25 years old? Yeah, he's Yeah, he's definitely up there in the AJ. He turns he turns 26 next month. Exactly, and that's why I'm saying I'm calling a bus already. You're not going to turn that guy into an elite top, you know, top 10 tackle at 27. Like what are you going to do? They needed him to be they need they need him this next year to be good, to be serviceable like a top 10 for it to make sense for that pick when, when they took him. And and that's concerning for me. That's concerning on the coaching staff. That's so much pressure. I, I, I'm worried for it overall. But they did end up bringing Jared Valdir, which I think was a sneaky good signing. He had a bad year last year and finishing with a you know a near career low fifty four point three overall grade per pro football pro per pro football focus. However, this is a guy that's proven in years past to be that eighty point oh guy that's had some consistency. And now you move him to right tackle. I think he could have some success. And I think it's way better than what they had in Menelik Watson last year. Menelik Watson was one of the worst pass-protecting offensive tackles the year before the Broncos got him, and everyone knew he was going to be when the Broncos got him. I, I think that was a, bold, a, a dumb decision by that front office, and they're smart to find a replacement with Jared Vildier. Yeah, I, another thing that I want to know, it, well, this is going to come down to John Elway and how long he wants to stick with him, is how long is he going to stick with these same offensive guys that, yeah, were really great when Peyton Manning was around, but haven't really had that same kind of year since. I mean, we still have C.J. Anderson, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. They lost – their tight end situation is pretty abysmal, depending on how Jake Butt comes back. Whoa. But, Jake Butt. Jake Butt. Okay, I think this is a sneaky good fantasy option. I think they're going to want to get him in. I know he had the injury and all that. But Case Keenum loves to own the tight end. Kyle Rudolph had significant fantasy value in Minnesota. I think if they want to make the Jake, you know, if if I start to hear rumors that Jake Butts looking really good in camp, which you're probably going to hear regardless, I'm going to get a little excited about this guy. Because he had a lot of success at Michigan being that kind of Kyle Rudolph type. I think Jake Butt, because he's coming off that injury, no one really knows about him. He could be a sneaky good undrafted. I'm talking undrafted. I don't think anyone picks him. Undrafted drafted tight end pickup maybe a streamer so so you are thinking case Keenum could put together another season like you had last year you're banking on it maybe That's- not maybe not this maybe not this i don't think the same success in terms of the win column but i think he could put up similar production i think he could put up similar production but i don't think this defense is as good as minnesota's not even close oh, to as good as what minnesota's defense was yeah and it was- so i think he can have similar production in the pocket and limit turnovers and that kind of thing but i don't think he's going to have similar success in the win column especially being in this tough division where aaron Rodgers isn't hurt and the detroit lions aren't inconsistent i think he's going to have to do a lot better than he did last year to have consistent numbers because he's going to be he's not going to be in the up by you know 10 situation where we got this because we're up by two scores and our defense is amazing there he's going to be in a spot where Mm -hmm. he's going to have to drive him down the field multiple times in a game and score 
And that's either going to make or break him this year. And like you said, you, so, you're, so you're not putting any uh, anything into uh, Jeff Hearman over there? Uh, no, no, not you're really. Jake I think I think Jeff Hearman's t- days are numbered. I think Jake Butt, he has a couple nice games in preseason. You're not even going to hear that name. He might be out of the league soon. Beyond Beyond quarterback – if Case Keenum ends up, you know, blowing it and have, ending up being the guy that everyone thought he was the first few years of his career, what what do you think is their top need after this season? Where do they where do they move on? Where do they start to rebuild? Honestly, man, you're going to have to start looking at offensive lines soon because if Eldir's old, Bowles, if he has another bad season, he's even old, even as a second year pro. Interior, you know, McGovern has not had a good career, not had a good start to his career. You know, Leary, Leary's getting old as well. You start to look at this offensive line, and I think that's where key rebuilding starts is at the offensive line when you get some good pieces there and you're able to put a quarterback whether he's young or he's old and protect him something that minnesota was do was able to do very very well in in, with um you know with the vikings that's when you're able to you know have a proper rebuild look at the raiders i know they're not back in the playoffs i know they only kind of a one-year wonder but the only reason they were able to kind of even climb back into existence was because they invested in the offensive line you signed donald penny has some success coletio assembly rodney hudson draft gabe jackson and yes that right tackle has kind of been a revolving door but when you're able to put four key pieces like that it makes Derek Carr look a lot better. It makes Michael Crabtree do, do have more success. It makes Jared Cook start to look a little bit better. And even Marshawn Lynch and Latavius Murray, that offensive line is going to be so key. When I see a bunch of no names or a bunch of you know potential potential weaknesses in, in, in an older Veldeer, a Bulls that struggled in year one, a McGovern that struggled in year one, offensive line is where I'm going to stay put. And I think that's a, that's a need that needs to be addressed. Uh, I've seen a lot of mock drafts saying the same sort of thing and them addressing it this year with Zach Martin at five. I I mean Quentin freaking Nelson. That's who I mean. Who's pretty much the same guy, and that's cause for the mix up there. But you see that? Would you uh, would you would you think about starting that rebuild on the offensive line this year, or is that just too high for you for this team? So you know I'm big on this kind of positional value, and if 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 you could convince me that you're going to put Quentin Nelson at tackle, that positional value starts to make a little bit more sense. But interior offensive line. I think you're able to find other guys that I think a great guard isn't worth a top five pick. I, I, I think a great guard's great. Maybe he's worth a top 20 pick. He's not worth a top five pick. If you can get me a good tackle at top five, I take a good tackle over a great guard in the top five. I don't think there's a good tackle. Really? I, I don't think there's a good tackle that's available to, I mean, in, in this draft for a top five pick. But in a hypothetical situation, if you had the difference between a great guard and a good tackle that would play the same NFL career, I'm taking the good tackle over the great guard just because the tackle position is more valuable. More pressure is able to be created on the outside. You know, you, you, it's, it's the higher paid position. It's one of those ones that you need to have a stalwart there in order for your offensive line to even get off the ground. With guards, you're able to kind of plug guys in and put a guy in like Connor McGovern, who I think was what a day three pick last year and they're able to start him without even blinking an eye that's that kind of stuff that you know pushes me away from spending a, such a high pick on a guard because there's other positions that like corner and you know it's it's a pass game it's a pass league it's a passing league quarterback's the number one position what's after mm-hmm. that protect the quarterback left tackle what's after that corner defend the quarterback what's after that wide receiver help the quarterback it's all the, all those positions matter so much more than your guards and your running backs and your interior run stuffing defensive linemen it, it, it's those positions that matter so much more, and that's why I, I want to look elsewhere. Maybe go Bradley Chubb, some other guys that are, are better at stopping the pass and or assisting the pass. Now, here's I agree with 97% of what you just said. 
Here is my only thing. When you see a guy like a Quentin Nelson, who isn't, there's no question at the next level that he is going to be good. There's no question that he's going to be one of the top guards. And you just, you'd know it. You see, I don't think anyone you ask him, there's any question marks about his game at all. Does that not move him up your board knowing that every, there, I don't think there's another guy in this draft who's a for sure thing other than him. In my, in my opinion, he's probably the only for sure guy that's going to be a pro bowler year after year and a top rated guard on PFF and all that. Does that move him up your board at all? Or is that still, are you still in the same situation where you'll take a risk on another tackle or even another position just being good? It, it moves him up a bo- my board enough to where if I see him go in the top 10 or the top 12, I'm not super upset. Because when you have such a high floor as him, as Quentin Nelson, it's, it, it takes things away. You know, I, I, he has obviously a significantly high ceiling, but his floor is, is like you said, a you know fit 10-year starter, pro bowler here in a couple of years. His floor is like David DeCastro. David DeCastro is one of the better guards in the NFL and I don't see him getting much worse than David DeCastro like if not if not better and he's got Colecchio assembly aggression but with David DeCastro kind of technique it's he's he's unbelievable prospect I'm just saying at that five if I'm going to take a a guard at the fifth over position when I'm not even sure my quarterback's good I think you're making a complete (laughs) complete mistake I, I think your roster needs to be so much better than what the Broncos current roster is to warrant taking a top five, a guard at the at number five overall trade back trade back and maybe maybe Nelson's a little bit down the road and if not you're able to take an you're able to feel more comfortable taking a position that I think has higher positional value I don't think I've ever heard you in recent memory I don't think I've heard you get this fired up over an offensive line <laughs> in a while um we, we I, I feel like we've talked we've talked up up and down the Broncos here we know the division pretty well because obviously we're in it. We're the Raiders here. Where do you put them in this division? Do they have a chance of winning it? Do they have a chance of making the playoffs? Or are they you know, scraping the bottom here? I think they absolutely have a chance of winning the division just because I think this is a division that a 9-7, a and seven, maybe at the most, a 10-6 record can win. I, I think the Chargers are – everyone wants to pick the Chargers because they're on the rise. You know, you know Forrest Lamp's going to be healthy. You, you pair the you – know, you pair the, Feeney from Indiana, you, you, Melvin Gordon's having good. Philip Rivers is still slinging the rock. Give me a high, healthy Michael Williams. You start to get high on these guys, but I think the Chargers, just like the Broncos, have some pieces on that roster where you're not as excited about some injuries that have always continued to cost them to where it's going to be anybody's anybody's division. The Raiders are obviously if they can get you know return return to what they were in 2016 under Gruden and an offense that no one knows what's going to look like. Chiefs have Mahomes, a guy that's a fire power, you know a firing gunslinger that. To where you can't really you, you can throw a dart at a dartboard and, and maybe land on the division winner. I think they definitely have a chance to win it. Do, are they my favorite to win it? No, I think they kind of finish in that second to third range in a battle with the Raiders and um, what I think is going to be the Chargers and Chiefs up top. But in, in in my opinion, I don't think this is right. You're gonna you're gonna write them off for a for a playoff slot. I don't think they go deep in the playoffs if they do make it, just because this roster just doesn't have enough depth. It doesn't have a great a quarterback that I think can rally past a lot of these holes. If I had to pick a final record prediction, I'm seeing them finish at eight and eight, at nine and seven at the most. I think I I mean I talked about it right there at the top. I don't see them any any more than a game off of eight and eight. They go nine and seven, you know. It's six and six and nine it's it's one of the seven and nine that that's that's all it's going down for me and mm-hmm. i think we've we've used up our full hour here and we're gonna go ahead and sign off mm-hmm. make sure to pop in next week and we'll talk a little colts 
or no, we talk Colts. We're going to do some Buccaneers. Yeah. So we'll get a little Buccaneers in here and yeah, we'll talk some more. Buccaneers is where I start to see a, a Buccaneers is where I start to see a favorite for that song, Saquon Barkley spot. I don't know. I start to like it to Tampa Bay, get that young nucleus going with Jameis Winston, you know, Mike Evans, Saquon Barkley. I start to get a little excited, but again, that's for next week. Subscribe to the podcast. Get ready for the state of the franchise. We're always talking. I, I know I got hyped about you know Quentin Nelson, but you know don't 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 run away. I will, I'll try and try to dial it back a little bit. <laughs> but thanks again for listening, and, and please subscribe. Please tune in.